Thank you very much, Ben. I appreciate that. So right now, I want to tell you about my friend John. Now, he's not really my friend John because he was born in England in 1628. Uh, as he became a young man, he fought on the Parliament side of the English Civil War. And after the war, he was married and he was baptized in that day what was called a nonconformist or a Puritan Protestant church. And that happened in Bedford, England in 1658. Now, his trade is that he was a tinkerer or, or a mender of pots, which basically meant he modified and did mechanical tasks on small items. He was a typical blue-collar, lowly sort of man with, with not a lot of education to brag about. But after he was baptized, he started preaching. And so I mentioned he fought on the, on the Parliament side of the English Civil War, and that's kind of a big deal because uh, the Parliament technically won the war, but within a decade or so, they decided to bring the monarch back. And so when Charles II takes his father's crown and is restored as the monarch of England, a lot of people blame the Protestants for the English Civil War. And so if you weren't a member of the clergy of the state-sanctioned Church of England, you were not allowed to preach. Well, John basically broke all of their rules, and he started preaching. And the rules were you weren't allowed to preach to more than five people, and you had to be five miles from town. So it sounds like some of our COVID lockdown restrictions. Um, but that didn't stop John. John preached to literally hundreds of people, and so he was arrested, tried, and jailed. And this happened to many Protestant ministers but most of them just promised to not preach anymore, and they were freed. John would not make such a promise, and he did 12 years in prison. He got out for three years, and then he was jailed the second time for almost two years. So during his first stint in prison, he wrote nine books. And they're available, but they're not that widely read. But during his second stint in prison, he threw himself into what has become the second most widely published book in the history of the world. The first one is the Bible. But number two, many of you probably have figured out, was written by John Bunyan, and the book is Pilgrim's Progress. And so that's what I want to talk about today, is that time in the pit. That time that we feel like is wasted. That time that we feel like everyone else is living their life and that we're stuck. And in that moment, we don't know why we're stuck. So Joseph comes to mind. He's stuck in that pit that his brothers cruelly placed him in. And then later on, he's stuck in the pit of a prison. And church, I want to be honest, and I want to be vulnerable with you right now. The COVID lockdowns were, were some of the worst days of my life. Not the lockdowns themselves, but the downtime, I had to face some ugly and personal things in my own life. And so many moments, I thought, I'm just wasting my life. I'm having to deal with these personal, internal things. And today, I'm far enough on the other side of that to know that those hard times, they weren't wasted. That those were purifying times for myself. But those moments, those moments in the pit were hard. And I don't want to gloss over that. And so today, 
I want to look at someone else who spent some time in the pit. And it's David. He was anointed as a boy to be king. And then he was sent back out in the fields to tend to the sheep. Then he spent years on the run. He had to hide in caves. He was hunted and he was threatened. And how many times did he think in those years of herding sheep and of hiding in caves that they were completely wasted years of his life? But it was during those times that God was building a great king and making a man after his own heart. If you want David's heart, you must be willing to endure the experiences that helped shape his heart. Most scholars believe that Psalm 40 was written as David was coming out of this hard, trying time of life right after he is, he is coronated as king. And then he has a whole different set of troubles, and we see that in Psalm 40. And so many of you know that when I teach from Psalms, the translation that I prefer is the uh, voice. And so that's what Ben read, and, and that's what I'm going to teach from here. And so verse 1 says, I waited a long time for the eternal. And I'm like, a long time? That's only from man's point of view. To God, this was just a breath. This was just a moment. And David says, he finally knelt down to hear me. He listened to my weak and whispered cry. And, and I just love that image of God stooping, of God kneeling down to hear us. If we care about a child, if we care about a child that's hurting, we, we stoop and we kneel down to get on their level we don't expect the child to come up to us and that's what God is doing for David David says he listened to my weak and whispered cry and I think of how many times that we are in a dark moment and we cry out to God and it's not with eloquence it's not with deep theological thoughts it might literally just be a whimper but what if that whimper in the throne room of God thunders because God knows us and he knows where it comes from it's only from David's point of view that his prayer is weak and whispered because God hears it in stereo sound verse 3 he says he reached down and drew me from the deep dark hole where I was stranded mired in the muck and clay and that verse right there is the pit that's the hard place. That's the place of suffering. That's the place of trials. That's the place we can't save ourselves from. That is the verse that perfectly describes our spiritual condition. This is the pit. And with a gentle hand, he pulled me out to sit me down safely on a warm rock. Yesterday, uh, a group of us went to Balmoray to the state park. It's kind of south of Pecos. And we loaded up in both of the church vans, and we went down there, and it's this huge natural spring, but they've put concrete in on the, on the side, but the bottom is still natural, and there's fish, and there's turtles, and it's just this amazing place, but the water is a pretty much constant year-round 72 degrees, so when it's 95 out, the water is 72, and there's just something about getting out of that water and stepping on the concrete that's warm. It's, it's, you know that you've gone from this place to that place. In the case of David, though, it wasn't a refreshing spring-fed lake. He was pulled out of a pit, and he sat on this rock. And you don't have to be good at preaching to see the word rock and just say, Jesus, right? 
that like we see Jesus in this psalm. And so he says, you took me out of this place and you set me down safely upon the rock. He says, and this word starts getting real good, church. He says, he held me until I was steady enough to continue the journey again. That coming out of that time of suffering, coming out of that trial, he says, after that moment, you held me. And I think about how healing physical touch is and how trauma can be processed and how suffering can be put into its perspective when we're held. And David says, you held me after you pulled me out of that pit. I had a time to process. I had a time to heal. And then this is the part that I really, really, really love. He says, he held me until I was steady enough to, to continue the journey again. Church, we are not be defined by what we are saved from the pit. We are defined by what we are saved for. He says, I continued on my journey. After he pulled me from the pit and held me, I didn't say thanks. I, I'm all good now, but the only thing I know is the pit, and so I'm going to jump back in, in, in the pit. He says, no, you held me. I healed. I processed so that I could continue my journey. It's a beautiful teaching. There's a saying that I like a lot. It says, if you're walking through the very fires of hell, don't stop. And certainly don't jump back in. And David says, I was held so that I could be healthy, so that I could continue my journey. Verse 3, he says, if that were not enough, because of him, my mind is clearing up. I don't know who needs to hear this, but some of those thoughts that you had in, in the pit, in, your in, in the lockdowns, in, in your time of suffering, you need to let some of those thoughts go. You need to break that loop. Paul talks about having a, a transformed mind, that God renews our minds. David says, you cleared up my thinking. Now I have a new song to sing, a song of praise to the one who saved me. The very tune of your life starts to be different. I see people everywhere that have in the little white AirPods and they're listening to stuff. And when I see a person, part of me just desperately, just because I'm curious, I want to know what they're listening to. After you come out of that pit and God has held you and you continued your journey, you now have a different song to sing, a different song playing in your head. Because of what he's done, many people will see and come to trust in the eternal. Now David is turning outward. We've gone from pit to being saved to being healed to, to clearing up of thoughts to having a new song, and now that journey, as he moves forward, he's turning it outward. He's finding his purpose in life. David was chosen by God to lead, and he wants to lead people not to trust him as their new king, but to trust God. Look at, ver at verse 4. He says, Surely those who trust the eternal, who don't trust in proud, powerful people, or in people who care little for reality chasing false gods, David says, I want you to trust in the right things. I don't want you to trust in your own self, in your pride. I don't want you to trust in other people, even though they may be powerful. I don't want you to trust in the idols, in the false gods of this world. He contrasts this with trusting in God. He's saying you can't get yourself out of the pit using broken 
tools. In verse 5, he says, You have done so many wonderful things and had so many tender thoughts towards us, eternal my God, that go on and on, ever increasing. Who can compare with you? You have to really know somebody really well to think that you know their thoughts. And David has such an intimacy and such a closeness with God forged in those times of suffering that David thinks that he knows the thoughts of God about himself. And David says, those thoughts that God thinks about me are warm and tender. How differently would we live if we thought God really had tender thoughts about us and that he really loved us? There's a story that preachers like to tell. I doubt it happened in this way. But there's, but there's a peasant who's down kneeling on the side of the road and he's praying. And there's a priest that walks by and says, oh, I see that you really adore God. And the peasant looks up and says, well, he thinks a lot of me too. And when you say that, doesn't it just almost land a little off? Like, oh, that's, that's kind of arrogant. But God does love us and he does tenderly about us. And then, and then David goes after people who are just kind of playing church. In verse 6, he says, Sacrifices and offerings are not what you want, but you've opened my ears, and now I understand. Now I get it. Burnt offerings and sin offerings are not what please you. And so in David's day, the, the, the way the people of God, the way they acted their faith out is they would go to temple, and they might bring an animal. And they would literally slit its throat and sprinkle the blood and burn the fat and go through all this ritual. And David says, some of us are just playing church when we do that. And I don't want to just rear back and kick your shins, but if, if leading an animal and, and going through that physical process, if you can do that and just go through the motions, how easy is it for us to come here and to just go through the motions? We get our little plastic cup and we kind of mess around with a little thing on top and we get the little cracker and you know we peel it off again and we take the grape juice and we look for the trash can or you come here and you're like oh no youth ministers preaching it's not Doug nobody's gonna get locked into a freezer no child is gonna have to ride around on like a scooter for 30 minutes like it's probably gonna be boring eyes glaze I know some of you thought that I forgive you I love you um David says, you don't just want to go through the motions. And then he tells us the resolution that he makes to make sure he's not only going through the motions. In 7, he says, so I said, see, I have come to do your will as it is inscribed of me in the scroll. God has written a story for David's life. <laughs> David says, that's the story I want. I want you to want the story that God has written for your life. Because that's what a man after God's own heart, that's the type of resolutions that David made. And I want you to make those too. Um, in verse 8, he says, I am pleased to live how you want, my God. Your law is etched into my heart and my soul. And if you're looking for a life verse, if you're looking for a verse that, that, that is going to be the focus of your journey Moving forward, this is a pretty good one. I am pleased to live how you want my God. Saying, God, I want you 
to decide. And it's not a grumbling. It's not a, oh, God's making me do this. I have to go be nice to this person. I kind of want to punch him in the face, but I guess I'll be nice. David says, I'm pleased to live the way you want me to live. You get to decide because your law is written upon my heart. Ezekiel is going to put it this way. He says, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's that idea of like God has, has so imprinted himself upon us that he's changed our inside that now we live differently. We live to please God. In verse 9, David writes, I have encouraged your people with the message of righteousness. In your great uh, assembly, look and see. I haven't kept quiet about these things. You this, eternal one. I've not kept your righteousness to myself, sealed up in the secret places of my heart. Occasionally, there's a politician that gets asked about their faith, and when it's a politician who doesn't want faith to be a, a large part of their of their platform, they'll say something like, well, I, uh, I have a I have a deeply profound and a deeply private faith, which means, you know, I'm, I'm really deep and I'm really close with God, but I, I don't really want to talk about it right now. And what David says is, my God is so profound, I can't keep it private. He says, instead, I boldly tell others how you save and how loyal that you are. I haven't been shy to talk about your love, nor have I been afraid to tell your truth before the great assembly of your people. This text is not talking about going and telling people who don't have faith about God. This is talking about being vulnerable before the people of God and telling what God has done for you. That's one of the reasons why we meet. So we don't just go through the motions of singing songs, but of us saying, God pulled me out of a pit. He cleared my thoughts. He gave me a new song. He held me. Uh, prior to COVID, we started doing testimonials once a month, and we're bringing those back next month. So you're going to want to be here for those. Um, it, it is a chance for us to tell our story before the people of God. He says, please, eternal one, don't hold back your kind ways from me. I need your strong love and truth to stand watch over me and keep me from harm. And now, here's the whiplash. Like, like it seems like things are going good now. And then in verse 12, he says, right now I can't see because I'm surrounded by troubles. My sin and shortcomings have caught up to me. So I am swimming in darkness. Like the hairs on my head, there are too many to count. So my heart deserts me. Oh, eternal one, please rescue me. Oh, eternal one, hurry, I need your help. What? Like, we've been reading the psalm, and it's David's giving thanks to God because he was in a pit, and now things are all good, and he's like, thanks, God, it, it really mattered. And now it seems like that David is back in a second pit. And church, I have bad news for you. That's life. <laughs> Joseph was in two pits. David was... In multiple pits you can look at the early church it's it's struggle and triumph and struggle and triumph and struggle and triumph and that's life and we see this in this psalm and what a beautiful way to handle it is David says 
I'm not going to waste this time in this pit. While I'm in this pit, I'm going to remember that, I, that I've been in pits before. And I'm going to tell those stories about what God did for me in that pit. And then I'll wait in this new pit in faith. And I'm not going to waste it. And then in verses 14 through 16, he talks about the new pit that he's in. And the problem is, he's a king. And when you're a king and when you're powerful, there's a lot of people that want to undermine your power and your goals and your, and your rule. And so he talks about the pit that he's in now. And then he closes in 17. He says, Meanwhile, I am empty and need so much. But I know the Lord is thinking of me. You are my help. Only you can save me. My true God, please hurry. And so we end this psalm with this prayer that David's like, I know you're going to do this. Just please hurry. (laughs) Do you feel that way? Have you been there? Because I have. And so I got to thinking yesterday that God could have kept Don Bunyan out of prison and kept him a free man. And he's a powerful preacher. And he could have preached to hundreds and maybe thousands of people when he was locked up for those 15 years in prison. But John did his time in the pit. He didn't waste it. He went into the pit and he came out with a book that has reached hundreds, that hasn't reached hundreds of people. It's, it's reached hundreds and millions of people. And his story could have only been written in the pit. His words have been read in five different centuries. It's been translated hundreds of times. And it remains a powerful and timeless classic. Church, today maybe you are in a pit of sin and of unbelief, and you need to repent. And we have some water up there that is for you. To say, God, I'm in a pit of sin, and I know I can't save myself. I need you to save me. Or maybe you're like David, or Joseph, or John Bunyan, and you are in a pit because life has dealt you some hard hearts. Stay faithful. Tell the stories of when God has saved you in the past, And look forward to when God will pull you out of this pit. Either way, believe this and know this. God is thinking of you and he loves you. If you have needs of the church, come as we stand and sing.